Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I, I uh, just want to just continue uh, here at a moment of prayer. This has been a kind of a spiritual battle week, and uh, I think it's just uh, amazing what God's doing and can do. So, Father, we come to you, and um, we acknowledge our weakness. Uh, Bill and I bring nothing to the table, but we depend on you. And, Father, I know each of us come here this morning, and and we come from all different backgrounds, we come from all different struggles, and, and so many of us have dealt with pain and offense and be, been sinned against. All of us have been offended because we live in a fallen world, and all of us have reasons not to forgive because uh, we just want to bury this stuff. And so, Father, I pray today would be a day of freedom for each person in this room. God, I pray that each of us would get to experience the joy and the freedom that comes from being uh, your children and the freedom that comes because of Jesus Christ. And so just use this time for your glory and for your honor. And uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And well, for a lot of you, uh, this became a really, really tough week for Steve. He started out with uh, high hopes for a very good week, and then uh, I saw the topic, probably one of the most uh, I think important topics when it comes to forgiveness and a topic that Satan definitely doesn't want anybody to hear. So I invited him to share this with me mm-hmm. and uh, he's saying thanks a lot. Thanks, it was kind of like the guy out <laughs> in the woods with the two guys in the woods and the bears chasing him and I stop, I put on my tennis shoes and he's looking at me saying, you crazy? You're not gonna outrun that bear. And I said, no, but I'll outrun you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so he's had to face all of the, the, the hits. Uh, I had a pretty good week, just like <laughs> you know you. that. Uh, last week, uh, we, we started on a topic, or a week before, on forgiveness. And, and we are going to build on this topic. I think the entire gospel is contained in the whole area of forgiveness, whether it's receiving it, giving it, returning blessings, uh, surrendering, walking the spirit. I think all is contained in forgiveness. And you, last week, you kind of did a good job, you and Pat, exposing that many people actually told me later on that they said, uh, I didn't even know that I was angry until last week. I found out that uh, I was frustrated. And, and so I think it's interesting that with all of these uh, different types of truths that come, we're going to talk about an area that I think is really, really important, and that is why in the world people will not experience the freedom of forgiveness Sometimes even when they say the prayer. I don't know if you've ever had that happen where people tell you their story of forgiveness. Uh, if you end up doing the song at the end, Tom, a song Tom's going to do, he wrote after an, a, quite an experience and bout with unforgiveness. And when he went and did forgiveness, it was like he was set free from it. So why in the world do we not want to be set free? And I don't think it's that people don't want to be. I think sometimes we're misinformed. And I think it's very, very important that we understand the schemes of the enemy. And so we know that it's very important to address these issues. So we're going to look at a number of reasons or a number of excuses why you and I don't experience the flow of forgiveness. Now, there's, we're going to use 13 of them, uh, 14 of them. There you go. There are more than that. You might develop your own, just like I've developed my own. But these are some main ones. You'll say, wow, I've been holding on to that. Maybe that's the reason this will not be set free. Good example would be 
the, the offense is just too big of a hurt. It's too big of an offense. And I'm, I just can't forgive. And I've, I've heard over the many years that I've talked to people and counseled with people, some offenses that I don't know how in the world people make it. Uh, one strikes uh, me, this morning when I was walking over here, there was a young lady that came in and one of her sons was killed by a drunk driver. And I was, I was trying to get into what that might feel like. I was trying to experience that. I couldn't even go there because the pain began to be so big. Until 15 minutes later, she told me that she had two sons. The second one was killed two months later by a drunk driver. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this just seems too big. And yet, if she doesn't go through and carry through what God has told her to do, she stays in bondage. So we're going to look at a whole bunch of them. And maybe you can relate to some of these yourself. Another one is, is that they don't agree they offended me. And, and, I, and, I, and I think we see that a lot with people. Um, we really attach significance to people's um, you know, actions. And, and really we attach significance. And that's really what brings the pain. We bring... Uh, the pain on our elf, ourselves often because we judge other people's motives and they hurt us and we want to judge their motives but really most offenses don't really have anything to do with us it's just that the self-centered me thinks that everything that happens has to do with me mm -hmm. and it's against me but but we can't judge uh, other people's motives so it's not really our job to try and and to get them to agree that what they did offended us because unforgiveness really causes us to be stuck in that moment of pain it, it causes us to be bound and so we do have a choice not to judge um, before the fall Adam didn't judge uh, he just received things from God there wasn't sin in the world and of course uh, the knowledge of good and evil brought this whole sense of judgment into the world and he he started to judge everything in his own perspective instead of trusting God's and as believers we have this opportunity to go back and to rely on God and we can just observe we don't have to try and judge what everybody else is doing and try and get them to agree that they offended us along the same lines uh, another one is they're not truly sorry you ever felt that when someone's offended you man if they were really sorry then I would forgive them if they won't then I won't and we think somehow you know uh, I'm gonna really punish them by not forgiving them until they're sorry and, and I'm going to make them pay. And of course, uh, we're the ones who pay. We're the ones who have to deal with that offense. Not only are they not sorry, but if I forgive them, people think they're right. Yeah. They were right in what they did. Yeah, they think they're right and they're going to get away with it, which yeah. we'll come and talk to. But what about, what about if they never asked to be forgiven, though? Well, and this is a teaching that I don't know kind of when it started, but it seems like a lot of the people in the churches have been taught that if people do not ask you for forgiveness, you don't have to forgive them. There's no way and no place in Scripture it says that. And we're going to see why that is really not valid and a not a valid enough reason to hold on because, like Steve said, they're the ones then that end up suffering, sitting there waiting for somebody else to give me freedom. Okay. So when I look out here and I see uh, Tom and Adam just talking the whole service, and I think, well, <laughs> until they ask for forgiveness, I'm not going to forgive them. It absolutely, I'm the one that suffers, not them. So. <laughs> they weren't talking. They were just, <laughs> now Adam has to forgive me. But that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I forgive you for lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it, it, it does kind of go right into the next one. They will just do it again. 
or they did it, or they did it <laughs> they again, did it again. And, again. and again and again. And uh, in Matthew chapter 18, if you want to look up the scriptures as we go, but Matthew 18 really addresses this uh, in a very strong way, where Jesus is talking to Peter. Your, your mic's not working. And uh, can you not hear me? I can use Tom's here. He got, no. you got it. Okay, I'm good. They, and they got me on. on. Sorry, thanks. So uh, Matthew 18, you know, and it begins with childlike. That's the picture of this whole beginning of this teaching. I think that's really important where Jesus is, is teaching how we must become like little children. We have to live in the moment. We have to trust our Father. We look to our Father. We live by events, not by trying to figure out everything on our own. And, and then he kind of goes in and he talks about how in Matthew 18:7 he says, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. Basically, he's saying, look, you live in a fallen world, there's no way to avoid offense. No way to avoid offense. And often it is multiple times, over and over and over, you will be offended. And he, and he kind of goes on and he talks about how Christ just reaches out to the one who's lost and, and brings him back into the fold. And he talks about this whole process of the church uh, really disciplining people for love, to restore them. And then Peter says to him, Lord, how often shall I go to my brother if he sins against me and I forgive him? Should I go up to seven times? And now Peter's being super generous here. He's thinking, hey, I got this whole Christian thing figured out, what Jesus is trying to teach, because the rabbis only said you had to forgive three times for an offense. They were never married then. Yeah, they, they, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says, how about let's double it and add one up to seven times? And Jesus says, uh, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Basically what Christ is, is teaching is there's no limit there's no way to count the number of offenses against you that you should continue to forgive. And uh, it gives us uh, an incredible sense of, of allowing us freedom. And it's not like we got to start counting down only 489 times left for forgiving a certain offense by the same person in the same way against me. And 488, it's, it's like we're not to keep track. We're just to forgive. And now that doesn't mean that we're continuing to have to expose ourselves to that person for right. mistreatment, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, that's not the same issue, but we are to extend forgiveness. But how about then if we say, like, I'll forgive them, but if I do that, then I've got to treat them right. Yeah, and I, and I think that so often we feel that, okay, I've got to do what my emotions want me to do. I've got to do that. And so what we end up doing is, I'm not going to treat them right. And if I end up feeling like, okay, they just did this, and, and I don't want to have to treat them right, and, which goes along with a lot of the other ones, yeah. I don't like them. Yeah. And uh, normally you don't like people that continually hurt you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that's not a good enough reason to say, well, I'm not going to just do this because I'll have to treat them right. I had a person after the first service came and said, I just got a breakthrough because... One of the things that happened is going through a divorce, I finally began to apply the forgiveness to my wife, but all of a sudden it dawned on me, I have to forgive the man that took her. Mm. And I'm supposed to return a blessing to this person? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you feel like, I don't want to do it then, because I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to treat them right. Well, then what happens is he remains stuck mm -hmm. in his unforgiveness. Yeah, exactly. How about if he just did it deliberately. I think this is a big one. <laughs> that he had tried to hurt. He tried to hurt you. I, sometimes, I don't know if you guys 
ever have warped sense of humor with yourself. I, I laugh a lot. Nancy wonders what's wrong with that man. But, you know, driving up behind somebody, do you ever just get this little thing just to smack them in the car? <laughs> no. Now, now if, somebody, if somebody drove up behind me and hit me from behind, I might turn around and they damage my car and I have to do something about it and I'm offended by it and I have to forgive and I have to go to insurance, I have to get a new car. But what if I turned around and they were looked at me smiling and they backed up and they did it again? Yeah. <laughs> the reason that that hurts way more is because it was personal. Mm -hmm. They purposely hurt me. I saw this person, I heard them purposely bad-mouthing me, purposely lying about me. Now the offense is, wait a minute, if it was an accident, I'll forgive, but they did it deliberately. Mm -hmm. Not a good enough reason to not forgive. Not a good reason. And uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to look at David and Saul, and really kind of, it, it, it builds on this, they did it deliberately, but it also goes right into the next one that, uh, that someone's got to make them pay. And uh, remember, Saul is, is uh, tormented by this evil spirit. And, and at this time, it's really important to kind of get a picture of where we are in this season because David had been anointed the next king. And uh, he's still a young boy. He's been anointed the next king. He's a teenager. And, uh, and Saul's the king, okay? And all of a sudden, God just really blesses David. And it goes on and on, and the people really start to adore David. And Saul becomes very jealous, and Saul tries to kill David. Okay, and so David comes to this place where he's running for his life from Saul and and what he's lost is he's lost his job in the kingdom. He was in the army. He was uh, he's lost his job. He's lost his wife. He's lost his home. He's lost his mentor as he's had to flee. He's lost his best friend Jonathan, his Saul's son. He's lost his dignity and he is on the run from Saul as we hit 1 Samuel 24 and, and David is pursuing God and Saul is pursuing David. And, and I think the important thing is, is to realize that God was preparing David to king it. And that's not how we would think you would be prepared to king it. And yet God often is preparing us for great things that we don't at all see. And we don't understand what he's doing. And so in 1 Samuel 24, it came about Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He said, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And En Gedi, if you want to get a picture of it, it's kind of like the Badlands only it's really tall. It's like it's right up against the Dead Sea, and so it's like the stark place with caves, and you get David and his men. He's just kind of got this ragtag group of, of really uh, criminals and crazy guys surrounding him who are really good with the sword, and David's running from Saul, and Saul takes 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in the, in the gate of the Rock of the Wild Goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, and, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And, uh, and I'll just let you figure out what that means. Some, some commentaries think that it means he slept, but uh, that's, one, that's one interpretation. So he went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were sitting in the inner re recesses of the cave. Okay, so you get the picture, right? Here's the perfect opportunity to get vengeance. Here's the perfect opportunity to make this guy pay for all the harm he's called David. Here's the perfect opportunity for David on his own to make himself king by wiping out the king. What do you think Saul might have done? Yeah, <laughs> Saul, yeah, it's crazy. And so David, instead, in verse 4, the men with him are saying, hey, this is the day. This is God's plan. Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him what seems good to you. 
And so David arose and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience had bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And so he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against his anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words, and he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul left the cave, and he went his way. You see, here's David choosing to allow God to have the vengeance. He's choosing, even though Saul deliberately hurt him, even though someone should pay, he's choosing to, to let God deal with it. And he even felt uh, remorse about cutting the rope because it was a small offense. And David was right, Saul was wrong. Saul did deserve, he did deserve vengeance. But David trusted God to make things right. And, and that's really an incredible picture that we have in our lives so often to be able to share. And I just really wanna just end with a few of David's words here as we think about it because David went out to the cave and, and Saul looked behind him and David bowed his face to the ground and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men saying, behold, David seeks to harm you? This day your eyes have seen the Lord has given you into my hand. He gave me into my hand in the cave and some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. And, and he goes on and he says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. David captured a, a clear, clear principle of scripture as he, he learned the scripture, he knew the scripture. And, and from Deuteronomy where it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will pay back. In due time, their feet will slip. The day of disaster will arrive. Their destiny will overtake them. In Leviticus and Proverbs, this is taught through the Old Testament. In Nahum, the Lord isn't slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Never. And it comes right into the New Testament in Romans, where he, Paul teaches us, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. The writer of Hebrews says, God's going to avenge. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. It is incredibly freeing for us incredibly freeing for us to allow God to be the one that avenges. He's the one who can. And, and I know that it's a thing that, that is so critical for us, but you'll never, ever regret forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. It sets us free as we forgive. It sets us free. And Saul left that cave and he spent most of the rest of his life in bondage. As you read the story of Saul, he's like one author described, a living civil war. And I think so often that's what happens within us when we harbor this unforgiveness. We have this war raging within us. And David left that cave free. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's an incredible thing to just trust God with the vengeance. And we can go on and the next one kind of is like, Bill, but what about like, I'll forgive, but I'm not ever going to forget. Well, I, I think that's the flip side. I think that and vengeance lie hand in hand mm -hmm. because there's a lot of us that out here think, oh, I'll let vengeance be God. But we store up all of these hurts against us. And especially if there's somebody that we might have to use the hurts later. Mm. We might have to go to court. We might have to just, so we've got this ammunition belt. And every time that I'm hurt, I'm just going to keep it here. I won't do anything about it now. But I'm going to go ahead and bring it out. And if it comes to pass that this gets publicly known, I'll make sure they know the truth. And so we can't really forgive because we've got to keep a stored up memory belt. Mm -hmm. 
so we can bring it out and destroy their reputation and that's vengeance is mm -hmm. God says let the vengeance and let the reputation be of God no I'm not going to chance that I want people to know and that goes back to the one of people won't know that, they, that this person was wrong they're going to assume I was wrong right. it, it reminds me of 1st Peter chapter 2 and I mean if you get a chance to read 1st Peter chapter 2 it's an incredible display of this and it says show respect even to those that are unreasonable or crooked. For this will find favor in God's eyes when you bear up under sorrows, when you suffered unjustly. But what if when you sin and you're harshly treated for it and your reputation's ruined, what credit is that? But what if you're doing what is right, at least in your own eyes, and you suffer patiently for it and extend forgiveness? This finds favor with your God. Mm -hmm. And it says, for you've been called for this reason, that Christ left you an example to follow his footsteps. And then he goes on, remember, Christ did nothing wrong. There was no guile in his life. Everything he did was right. At least all of us have to admit we had a part in something. And yet it says he never reviled back. That word reviled means make bad comments about, bad mouth the person. He never spoke had against him. It said he just kept entrusting himself to the God, to Abba, who will judge righteously. Mm -hmm. And we can, we can look at that and we can think, well, I, I can understand that, you know, if it's someone that I really uh, think deserves punishment that's really harmed me. But how about if it's someone who I really love, someone who's in my family, someone who's close to me, one of my friends, and, and I think, well, I'll forgive them because I can kind of make an excuse for their, for their mistakes. Yeah, and so we reduce the offense a lot of times. So, well, I love them. They must have been tired. I'll have to just probably think that maybe this is what they were thinking. And maybe, maybe uh, Tom and Adam were really talking about some real hurt in their kids. So I, I'll reduce that. When all I'm doing is reducing the offense, and then I forgive for the little offense, which is really not forgiveness. We need to extend it. And here, here's something that I think is so huge that if I've seen so many people stuck, is they said, I don't like them. Yeah. And if I forgive them, I'm going to be a hypocrite because mm -hmm. I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. You ever thought that? Mm -hmm. Well, God says forgive. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'd, I'd be being a hypocrite because I don't want to and I don't like them and I'll be acting. Well, here's news. Satan's definition for a hypocrite is pretending to act different than how you feel. God's definition and the Webster's definition is pretending to act different than what is true. The truth is we have been called to reconciliation. We have been made a new creation that is filled with love and forgiveness so therefore, whether I feel like it or not, I'm being more hypocritical, not forgiving, than I am forgiving. Does that make sense? There's going to be times that uh, this, this guy that uh, talked to me after the first service, and he said I could use this illustration today, uh, as I will, and, uh, but he said, I didn't feel like forgiving this man. But I was in bondage until I chose to do it. And so, in a way, he said, you know what, feelings, feeler, you can do whatever you want. I don't expect you to come along. It must have hurt like crazy. 
But my will, my body is going to exercise forgiveness regardless of what you feel like. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, there's a verse that says that the wise man, the crucial wise man, and in wisdom he learns how to rule his spirit. The word, the word there means that he has the ability to tell his feelings they're not the boss. That they are submissive to what is true. And what's true about me is I am a man that's been redeemed and in my heart is flowing forgiveness. Every one of you that has received Jesus Christ, that has received the Spirit of God, has received the full spirit of forgiveness in you. It says that you have received that. Therefore, to not forgive is hypocritical. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Don't let Satan lie to you and say, well, until you feel like it, okay. then you just get locked in bondage. And I think that's the kind of the essence of the, the those first reasons here is that we, we so easily get trapped into forgetting who we are in Christ. And really what we've been looking at is Paul's been, you know, his life and even Sharon in the book of Ephesians, this whole sense of how critical it is for us to, to renew our mind, to really believe the truth of what God says about us is true, rather than to believe what we feel or what others say or to, to act on just our emotions or how things look, but instead to really turn things around and say, what does God say is true about me? and just to be able to respond out of that. And that kind of captures all those, but there's a whole other aspect here is we have this enemy, and he's a deceiver. And so how about this whole sense, Bill, of, of uh, really there's something that, that just keeps me from, from forgiving, and, and, and there's this whole spiritual realm that we can't quite get through. And, and sometimes I will, and I don't mean this in a real hurtful way, but when somebody says, something just keeps me from forgiving, well, duh, uh, it, it, it really, Every single time that I have had to address some type of spiritual warfare, demonic oppression, it always is related to unforgiveness. The Bible says that don't be ignorant of the schemes of this devil. Don't be ignorant of his strategies. And one of his strategies is to keep you convinced that you don't need to extend forgiveness because as long as you don't give forgiveness, he gets permission from heaven to torment you. Do you know that? All through scripture, it's referred to that. The Saul basically says that he was, an evil spirit overtook him because he was unwilling to forgive David. It says that don't, be, uh, don't let the sun go down on it. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Matthew 18 says, because he was unwilling to forgive or to repay, he was, God took him and handed him over to the tormentor. I've had people come in wondering why their body is so sick all the time. They're so miserable all the time. And yet the Bible says, if we will remain in a state of unforgiveness and a bitter heart, it will rot your body. It will cause decay to your substance. And I've had people forgive and all of a sudden they're, they're healthier. Now I'm not saying everybody that's sick should be like that. But I feel like people aren't aware, Steve, of the dangers. Here's another one that people aren't aware of, that he gets permission to torment you, not only you, but your household. Mm -hmm. Now this isn't a mean thing God's given him permission to do. It's actually a way of discipline so that we will correct what is wrong go to forgiveness, make right uh, 
the forgiveness and the offense so that God can inhabit us again and we can now experience freedom and peace the way we were designed to. As long as we won't forgive, we are in miserable place. Like you said, uh, Saul was, he was tormented. Mm-hmm. So God says he will give Satan permission. So if you're wondering why there's such a spiritual warfare on you, first thing is check your unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody, is there a hurt, is there something in the past that you have just chosen? No, that one I'm not going to be. Then put on a crash helmet because you're headed for a tough ride. Yeah. And, yeah. and I see this over and over and over again where people will come in and they're having all kinds of stuff in their life and they're thinking it's this or they're thinking it's that. And I have found that when we dealt with forgiveness, many times the oppression was left. It's no longer the permissions there. So wouldn't you think one of Satan's strategies, if he gets a key to your life and torments you because you won't forgive, don't you think he would do anything to keep you and me from forgiving? Mm-hmm. I, I do. And, and, and exactly. And I think like all these kind of reasons are unvalid or invalid reasons to forgive. They're reasons why we, you know, they're not reasons to forgive. And so often I find it fascinating how we think this forgiveness is, is for the other people, okay? That we're supposed to be a good guy or a good gal or a good Christian. And that's why we're supposed to extend forgiveness for the other person. But truly, truly harboring unforgiveness is, destroys us. And forgiveness sets us free. It allows us not to be stuck in a moment. We know so many people who are driven by something that's happened to them decades ago. And they're, and they're driven. And maybe they're driven to success or they're driven to failure. But both ways, they are bound back to those moments of pain because of unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's, a, there's kind of an illustration to kind of summarize it all that Bill wants to, to kind of share. Hey, follow here. with me. We're going to show some diagrams up here. The first diagram... Uh, you'll see that's that little bump there that looks like a mountain. That is your mind. That is the, the things that you are aware of. That's your conscious awareness. And the little uh, explosions in the blue there, the offense or the violations, those are hurts that have been done to you. Now remember, you know those hurts. They were done to you. Uh, this is obvious. I have a business. My best friend snuck off and did business with somebody else instead of me. That's an offense. Does that make sense? That offense then is there. Okay. That offense, though, the Bible says, goes down into the innermost parts of man. So the next slide shows that it's not just that it's there. It actually goes into the inner man. That's the heart, the soul of what a person's like. And it begins to do something. It begins to grow there. But we, usually, by Satan's prodding, we don't do anything. We just kind of get like this. We're not going to go ahead and talk to the person. We let the clock tick and we let time pass. And pretty soon, guess what? The offense doesn't hurt so bad. So we then just let time go by. And now what's happened is we see some, results, some things come out of us. Now, note that right now when you look at these things, you're not remembering the offense. You're not aware of the, the, the growth inside. All you're seeing is, I'm having nameless anxieties in my life. I'm having constant fear. I'm having sleeplessness. I can't sleep, even though God says that the wise in heart will sleep, their sleep will be undisturbed and peaceful. I can't sleep. I'm just disturbed. Here's one huge, explosions of temper. Have you ever saw that you're getting mad for the stupidest little reasons? And it's like you're, you're at about a nine, 
And so just a drop glass sends you through the ceiling. You don't know why in the world is this. But here's one that I think most people miss. I'm depressed. I have found in 33 years that one of the major reasons for a person depressed is unforgiveness. When we go back and find out those things that are growing and growing seed come out, they come out in depression. So the first thing I want to check is, where have you been hurt? Where have you been offended? Does that make sense that these things come out, but when you look at them, they're actually tied to these original hurts? So my, my plea to you and my plea to me is why in the world would I not want to address these hurts by being an extension of God's forgiveness? And they come out. Uh, I'm taking a chance here. I was doing this the first service, and during the first service, there was a couple sitting out here who had greatly blocked one of my expectations about a year ago. I look out here, and guess what? Oh, something rose to the top while I'm talking. I thought time had gone by, and I wasn't really bothered by it. I saw their face, and all of a sudden, I was starting to get angry while I'm talking on forgiveness. I thought you were mad at me. Yeah, I was, it, was Tom, it was Tom and Adam. <laughs> And so it was, and it was hilarious because I'm looking here thinking, this is a great example. I let time go by long enough, and I wouldn't have, if you would have said, hey, what do you think? Nah, no big deal. It doesn't bother me. Guess what? It was harboring something. It grew out, and then it came to my awareness. And so right in the middle of visiting, I did a quick extension of forgiveness. And the interesting thing is, after the service, they come walking by me, and they actually made a positive comment to me. And the cool thing was is I no longer have to carry that junk anymore. And whether they carry it or not is their problem. And so therefore, I can go ahead. There's never a good enough reason not to forgive. Mm -hmm. Tom, uh, Tom wrote a song. And uh, I think that if you know the, the history behind the song, It'll really touch you, but it is a, a song where Tom had harbored some unforgiveness. Time goes by, and the thing is brewing and brewing, and out of Tom is coming certain uh, behaviors until he realized that he had to go back to that offense, and he had to address that forgiveness. And, and I can verify this, that when Tom did this, and it steered him to write the song, I saw him set free from an area that he was in bondage. So listen to the song knowing that it comes from a personal experience. And, and really, Father, I do pray for each of us as Tom shares that we all have those things. And if there's anything in any of our lives that are buried, that you would just bring them to the forefront. And uh, we just pray that you would set us free even in these moments. In Jesus' name.